Well, I wanted to talk to you tonight about worship. I love worship. It's one of my favorite things about church is being able to worship with our church family, being able to worship with the other children of God. Anyone who knows me will tell you that I love worship and it's a true passion of mine. Uh, A lot of my friends know that. It's what we talk about most. As Christians, worship is a way for us to put everything behind us and to charge up our spiritual batteries. Something shifted for me a few years ago about worship, and it led to a new, a new door in worship. I viewed worship in a different way, and since then, you know, if you, if you were to ever see me, you don't see it much here because I've always got a microphone in my hand, it seems like, but worship for me, I'm a rowdy worshiper. I like to dance, I like to jump, I like to shout, I've done it all. You know, I've taken laps around the sanctuary before. That's just one of the things I like to do is I like to worship with expression, and that shifted for me a few years ago. And I want to talk about that shift for a little bit, and hopefully, you know, maybe things will shift in your perspective as well, or maybe this is something that you've already gotten before, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about this. So we're going to jump into the Word, and we're going to be in John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. A little bit of background. This is during Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. This is uh, one of the most monumental conversations in Scripture uh, is the way I think of it. But we're going to start in verse 19 at the very tail end of this. She says, it says, verse 19, The woman said to him, Sir, I, perce- I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. For just a few moments, we're going to talk about truthful worship and what that looks like. Now, depending on what church you go to, you might or belong to, you might feel like there's some restrictions on how you worship. Fortunately, we are part of the Assemblies of God, and we encourage everyone to worship freely. Worship how you see fit. Worship with, with every, everything within you. We don't have any restrictions on worship. If you want to shout, shout. If you want to dance, dance. It doesn't matter. If you want to get on your knees and weep, that's fine by us. But it's not like that everywhere you go. There's this ideology that's been running around the church about worship. And it's this ideology that you worship in church and church only. And you worship God because that's what you're supposed to do. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there is something so much deeper about worship. And our scripture text tonight kind of, you know, it shows us that. And we're going to break that down in just just a little bit and talk about that. The first thing I want to point out is location. In this passage of scripture, we see that the woman is stating one of the factors that separates the Jewish people from the Samaritans. It's the location of their worship. She points out that the Jews uh, believe that worship should take place in the temple and the temple only. 
And we see that because in the book of Isaiah, he writes that my house shall be a house of prayer and concerning the temple. She also points out that the Samaritans worship on this mountain. This mountain is the same mountain that houses uh, Jacob's well. And it's the same place where he wrestled with God back in Genesis 33. And it's also the same mountain that God promised Abram all the way back in Genesis 4. So there's no doubt that both of these places are valuable to both the religious and the political culture of the time. But Jesus didn't seem very concerned with, with that in his response. Verse 21 says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus saying, saying that I don't care where you worship me from as long as you worship Worship isn't just a filler on Sunday mornings for a 45-minute sermon to come after. It's not just something that we do to kill time. Our, our, the location of our wor worship has no factor into us experiencing God. I think of the woman with the alabaster box and how she was just simply sitting at her home when she broke that box over the feet of Jesus and anointed him with it. She was able to worship from the comfort of her own home. I think of, of all the countless people who Jesus healed on dirt roads outside of the city where, he, where all they could do was worship him after their healing in the middle of a, of a backwoods road is what it seems like. Your location has nothing to do with your worship. As a matter of fact, if your worship is tied to a location, are you really worshiping? Are you really worshiping God if, the, if your entire Worship philosophy is centered around a church building. Because I would say it probably isn't worship. The second thing that Jesus points out is that God is looking for a worshiper in spirit and in truth. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We're just going to focus on spirit for a little bit. He's looking for people who worship in spirit. Now, there's this big, great debate among scholars about what that means. Is he talking about the spirit within us or the Holy Spirit? And I'm here to tell you, he's talking about both. He's talking about both. He's not saying that it's one or the other. Uh, at first, it means that we are to worship from our spirit, the spirit within us. First Thessalonians teaches us that we are made up of three distinct parts. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Now, if you've never heard of, us, heard of this, I'm going to break it down real quick. Your body is, is obvious. It's what everybody sees. It's the physical being of who you are. It's, it, it, was, it was made of dust, and one day it's going to return to dust. Your soul is your mind. It's how you think and how you reason. It's where your emotions reside, and it's where your personality lies. But your spirit is the core of who you are. It's what separates man from the rest of every other creation. The fact that we have a spirit. It's how we connect to God and the spiritual realm. 
It's how we're able to be attacked by Satan, but also experience the Spirit of God that is very real and that we experience every Sunday that we're here in a worship service or every Wednesday night. It's the part that strikes who you are. It's part of your conscience. The Spirit speaking to you. That is, that is part of your spirit there. The second meaning is to worship in the Holy Spirit. This means to worship in the Holy Spirit and that's how we take things to a deeper level in our walk with God. It's one thing to worship God with all that I am, but it's another thing to worship God with all that He is. When I connect my spirit to the Spirit of God, I can experience God on a deeper level. To worship with the Spirit is to partner with the Spirit. To allow the Spirit to flow through you. When we worship God in the Spirit... The one thing that everybody gets hung on is speaking in tongues. But I'm here to tell you there's so much more to worshiping in the Spirit than speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is great. I do it every day. I believe that if you have been given that, you should do it every day. Scripture actually says that one who speaks in the Spirit or speaks in tongues builds himself up. But that's not it. To worship in spirit, it means to experience God on such a deep level that nothing can hinder your worship. That nothing can waver and, and take you from the place that you are. Because worshiping with the spirit means that you have given everything in that moment to him. Now, when we worship God, we do pray in tongues. Uh, that is something that we do. And people get hung up on that all the time. So what does scripture say about this? 1 Corinthians 14.2, real quick. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. What does that mean? That means that when we speak in tongues, unless it's in a setting where someone has been given a tongue and an interpretation of that tongue as a word from God for the entire congregation... It means that you're not speaking to man, but you are speaking directly to the Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth, even if you don't understand it. Because if it truly is the Spirit of God, God knows what it is. That's why it says he speaks mysteries in the Spirit, because only God understands. Everything else in the spiritual realm is confused by that as well. That means that even the enemy does not know what you're praying. That's why... Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is such a powerful resource. Is because when I pray and I'm using my native tongue, the enemy hears that and he understands that. But when I pray through a prayer language and a spiritual language, then it becomes something that only God and the Spirit know. It always has, has something to do with you and your spiritual growth. It has something to do with, with breaking down demonic attack. Speaking in tongues is a very real tool that we've been given as people. And the enemy is not privileged with that information. When he hears it, it sounds, it sounds speaking in tongues sounds to the enemy just like it does to our ears. It sounds like it could be gibberish, like it's a language I've never heard before. It's confusing, and therefore he has no attack for it. The truth is, when we partner our worship with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, our worship is enhanced. And only God can get the glory. Why would I worship 
outside of the Spirit of God? Why would I worship and allow the world and the enemy to twist my worship so that other things could possibly get glory when my worship is only intended to glorify God? The next thing is truth. Let's go back to John chapter 4 and verse 23. He says, But the hour is coming, it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. What God is looking for is for people who worship in truth. What does that mean? To worship out of truth. It means to worship in Jesus' name is one thing that it means. How do we know this? Jesus himself said it. John 14, one of the I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We worship in truth by worshiping in Jesus' name. It simply means that Jesus is the truth in which all things are based on. And all things are judged. If it does not line up with Christ and his word, it simply is not true. That means when we worship and when we sing songs, if something does not line up with scripture, we know it to not be true. There's a song that we sing all the time, and I love it, except for one word. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to remember it now. Uh, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I love that song, but it should be, I will build my life upon your word because it is a firm foundation. The love of Christ is great. The love of God is great. But I don't build my life up on love. I build my life up on the word of who he is and the truth that is in his word. That's the only thing I don't like about that song. So when we sing it, to myself, I always say your word. Because that's a promise that I'm speaking to God. Is that I will build my life upon my word and what your word says you are. Because in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Or it should say the word is God. Because he is the word. He is the living word of the Lord. Um, If it doesn't line up with Christ and who he is, then it's simply not true. This goes for songs that we sing, prayers that we pray, and how we worship. If anything we do, anything comes out of our mouth that is the opposite of who Jesus is, at that moment we need to check our heart and get back into worship. Because the Lord will not accept any worship that is based on false facts. Um, it, it's, it's meant that we, it also means that we worship out of the truth of who God is and, that, and who He has revealed to us. This comes out of worshiping out of our revelation of who He is. Whoa, what does that mean? Worshiping out of revelation of who God is. Well, it looks like this. Back in 2020, during the pandemic, when it was really going strong, there was a song that took over churches everywhere. It had come out before then, but it's a simple song. We've sung it here, and it's the song Waymaker. Everyone loves that song. There is not a person in the Church of America who doesn't love that song. And if you don't love that song, you need to check your heart. And I say that because of this. The words of this song says, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is a powerful statement to make. 
And it's a powerful statement because when you sing this in worship, you're worshiping God. And the reason it became so popular is because this grabbed the hearts of people because at some point in their life, God made a way. At some point in your life, God performed a miracle. And at some part of your life, he kept a promise that he made to you. He is the light in the darkness. If you're in this room, chances are you've, you've prayed a sinner's prayer. You've turned from your wicked ways, and you've come into the light of grace. That's why we can worship and sing this song with all confidence, is because we, have, we are worshiping out of the revelation of who Christ is as the light in the darkness. And then we follow it up by saying, that is who you are. Why is that so important for us to say that is who you are? Because the world has all these ideologies about who Jesus is. Some people are going to say, well, he was a false prophet. No, he wasn't. Tell me another man who could, who could prophesy his own death, his own resurrection, and then start a global movement. This lasted 2,000 years later. There's no false prophet that could do that. People are going to say, well, he was just a man that's in our history books. He had a following. If he was just a man, 2,000 years later, there wouldn't be a group of people at 166 Pine Street here in the presence of God. People grab a hold of this because they, they, they realize that God has revealed himself to be these things. If you worship God out of the truth that he has revealed himself to be to you, then your worship will mean more to you. That's why when we sing these songs, that for some reason, when you sing this song or when this song's going, it feels like the Spirit's just been pumped into the room. It feels like the, the presence of God has just hit home. It's because there's a revelation in there that you already know God to be. You know God to be that, and that's why you sing that song with so much confidence because you've seen him as these things. That worship means more to you because that has hit home with your relationship with him. That's why when we sing songs like Gratitude by Brandon Lake, I love that song. Because there are no words that I can think of that can express my gratitude and thanks to Jesus for everything that he brought me out of. That song means so much to me. And my worship means so much more to me when I'm listening to that song and I'm worshiping along with that song. Because it reminds me. Of everything that he's done. And not only that, it brings me to a deeper level. It challenges me to know Jesus more because I've, I've witnessed who he is. When it, you know, Jesus is the best Pringle you'll ever eat because you, you can't have just one moment with him. You can't have just one, you know, it's like a Pringle, you, you eat one and you end up eating the whole can. But with Jesus, when I experience him, I can't just have one experience. I'm challenged to go deeper. I'm challenged to learn to love him more and to learn who he is more. Because if I just stop, I will never be satisfied. That is, that's the same reason that people walk with Jesus their entire lives. is because they've never been satisfied with, with just a little bit they've gotten. If the angels circle around the throne of heaven, and every time they take a step, every time they look at the throne, they see something new of Jesus, a new revelation, a new part of his character, then I want that. I want to see what the angels have seen since the beginning of time. Because there's something that I'm, I just haven't gotten to the end, and I never will. That's why we call this a walk with God. is because it never ends. It's a continuous walk. It's a continuous 
it's, I would say it's a continuous moment because I never want to leave that first moment. I just want to extend it to the next. If God has revealed himself to be a good father, then you need to worship him for being a good, good father. If God has revealed himself as a healer, then you should worship him for being that healer. If God has revealed himself to be the great provider, then you worship him for providing for you during that lowest time. We worship God out of the revelation of who he is because that hits home. That's why people can come to the altars and cry their hearts out. Because they've experienced the goodness of God. They've experienced the blessings of who God is. A blessing is an inheritance. That's what the Hebrew word for blessing means. The Hebrew word for blessing is barach, which means an inheritance. A right. A gift given to you as a right. That's why it's so powerful when we worship. is because we remember all the blessings that we've been given to us, even though we don't deserve it. I am not a Jewish man. Which means that none of the blessings that I've been given in my life of God were meant for me originally. They were because it was part of God's plan. But I'm not part of that bloodline, but I've been grafted in. That blessing means so much more to me. I would say this, if you're in need of a miracle and you haven't leaned on him and trust in him as the all-powerful God, go ahead and worship him now for the miracle that's coming down the road. I would say if, if you haven't seen God as a provider, go ahead and worship him now for the provision he's got for you down the road. I would say that if you haven't received healing for something that has hindered you for years, worship him now for the healer that he already is, even though that healing is down the road. Why would I say that? Because truthful worship is worshiping God outside of your circumstances. If, my, if I allow my circumstances to dictate every moment I have in worship, then I would never worship. I never would because we live on a broken world. It's too easy as humans for us to allow something that happened earlier in our day, earlier in our month, earlier in our year to dictate what's going on. It's too easy for me to keep that with me. So if I don't lay that down and worship for the future, I'll never, I never will. Truthful worship is, means to worship what we don't already know. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I can hear the word of God all I want. That will build my faith up. But if I don't know it to be true, that's when my worship comes in handy. Because I can worship God for the things that I haven't seen yet. And there's a promise waiting that I will see him as these things. Now, in order for us to understand what truthful worship is, we have to know what it's not. The first thing is that truthful worship is not self-centered. As a matter of fact, it's the complete opposite. Worship is about being consumed by God and allowing him to have his hand in our lives. If you worship God at any point, it's because you have given God the glory. It's because you've given God your life. Worship is about, worship is a reminder to us about the commitment we made when we came to him. 
Worship is a way for me to remind myself that, yes, there was a time in my life that I was addicted to pornography. Yes, there was a time in my life that I ran with the wrong crowd. But the reality is, is that God brought me out of it, and it's a reminder of the commitment I made to him for my freedom. I've given my life to Christ because he freed me. He freed me when I gave my life to him, and I will never go back on that commitment. It's a selfless act of worship. I've given everything I have to God because he has his hand in, our, in my life. Truthful worship is not just good music. I love the songs we sing. I've got to admit that. I love to sing, and they're a great segue into worship. But if your worship hinges on the songs that we sing, are you really worshiping? Are you really worshiping? Now, you can create a song. That's worship. But if, you are just, if your worship hinges on the words of another man or another woman, then your worship's not coming from your heart. It's coming from someone else's. My worship is what God is looking for. He's looking for people who worship in spirit, my spirit, and in truth. The truth of who he is. The woman with the alabaster box didn't have any music. She saw her savior and broke open, the, broke open her livelihood and poured it out on the feet of Jesus. David, while he played the harp and he was a psalmist, didn't have any good music he could lean on. But yet he danced in the streets naked and said, I can be even more undignified than this. It's not about the music that we sing. Worship's about the heart. Truthful worship isn't about being emotional. It's fine to be emotional in worship. That means that you feel the spirit moving. It means that something has, has, has grabbed a hold of your heart. But if you have to be emotional in your worship, it's not truthful worship. My emotions will lie to me. Emotions will lie to you. Emotions will tell you, because I, if I come in on a Sunday morning and I'm mad as all get out, it will hinder my worship. Because I'll be worshiping out of a mad state of mind. But if I lay that down and I put the emotions away and I enter into worship, will God not change my emotion? Will God not give me joy and replace the, the mad and angry feeling I have? If I come in anxious into the spirit, if I come in anxious into the house of God and I int intend on having an encounter with him, will he not take that anxiety and replace it with peace? These are, these are things that God will do if we worship truly. Your emotions have nothing to do with it because God will change that. God will, God will move. That's why we, we have people. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced, experienced it, but there are people that when you get into a worship service, all they do is laugh. That is the joy of the Lord. It is. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was uh, 18, 19 years old, I was on a young adult retreat. And we were in this room. It was in a cabin up in the mountains. And we were just there, just a group of young adults who wanted to get to know God on a deeper level. And there were people who were coming back to God in the room. 
People who had been dealing with their sexual identity. People who had been dealing with sexual immorality. People who had been, who had, who had been living a lifestyle from the window of their life. Believing to, letting people believe that they're Christians, but on the inside, they were tormented. And they were dealing with stuff that none of us would have known about. And they were coming back to God in that moment. But in that moment, I just started busting out laughing and I couldn't control it. I had never experienced the joy of the Lord like I did that night. My buddy, James, he was our, our young adult pastor at the time. He said that it looked like I was throwing up laughter. He had never seen anyone vomit laughter. And because of that, it became contagious. Other people started doing it. Before long, the entire room was filled with people laughing because the joy of the Lord was our strength that night. I was not in a laughing mood. As a matter of fact, I had just injured myself before that moment. Uh, back in 2017, uh, I was in a wreck that broke my ankle. And we were going on a hike and I stepped on a rock the wrong way and injured my ankle that I had surgery on. So I was in pain. But in that moment, the joy of the Lord consumed me. Even though my physical body was in pain, my spiritual man inside couldn't be quiet because of the joy of the Lord that struck me in my soul, that struck me in my spirit. Your emotions have nothing to do with how you worship. Now, I want to talk about something that I believe only truthful worship is. When Jesus came, he said, these things you will do and more pertaining to the miracles that he did on earth. I don't believe that he was speaking just to the 12 disciples. Even though there are people, or the 11, I apologize, there were only 11 at that moment, but I don't believe that he was speaking to just them. I believe that when Scripture says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that goes for his word, and his word does not change. So I believe that when Jesus was speaking about those miracles, he was speaking to us as well. Truthful worship is a segue into miracles. Truthful worship is what allows Peter and John to go up to the, to the, to the, to the gates and see a crippled man there begging for money and say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Truthful worship does that. As a matter of fact, when, Pete, when the disciples went to cast out demons, they were unable to. And Jesus told them, this kind can only come out off on prayer and fasting. Prayer is an essential part of our worship. How can you worship if there is no prayer? How can you communicate with the Spirit of God if you don't open your mouth? Prayer is an essential part of your worship. Your worship is powerful. Acts 16. It's a very common uh, passage of scripture. Acts 16, 20. And they had brought them to the magistrates. And they said, these men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in on attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they had threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fasted their feet in stocks, 
Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Truthful worship, worship that comes through the Spirit and in truth, is a powerful worship. Worship has the power to break chains. Truthful worship has the ability to, to open up prison doors, but not just for you. As a matter of fact, your worship will loosen the chains of people around you if they hear your worship. If they're affected by it, they will be blessed. Truthful worship is that powerful. Truthful worship is what takes people out of bondage and it brings them into a relationship with Christ. Because... I'm, because my grandmother worshipped and prayed, because prayer is part of your worship, I'm able to stand here. I remember being a little kid, growing up as a pastor's son, spending the night with my grandmother, and hearing her pray over me and my brother, praying blessings and blessings on us. That is something that I have been blessed with. And to, and to have the memories of that of my grandmother and my grandfather, while, he didn't while I didn't necessarily hear him do that, at night, I would, if I were to wake up early enough, you would catch my grandfather sitting at the kitchen table, reading his Bible, and praying over our family. I didn't know that until one day I had to wake up early for school, and I found out that he had been doing that every day. That touched me. That, is, that, that, that type of worship is worship that's powerful. You see, Paul and Silas made a spectacle of it, and it was needed. Because they were at the inner prison. You see, the inner prison was disgusting. The inner prison was inside them. It was the very bottom of the prison where all the sewage ran. So they were sitting there in their chains and other prisoner sewage. And yet they still raised hymns and praised God. And they made a spectacle of it. And everybody heard. And when they heard, a great earthquake happened and it loosed their chains. When we make a spectacle out of our worship for the right reasons, because you can make a spectacle out of worship and it not touch anybody. And it won't touch the throne of heaven if, you just make, if you're just making a spectacle to make a spectacle. That's why I said it's selfless. But when your worship reaches the throne of God, everyone affected by it around you will be blessed. Truthful worship is also a weapon. In 2 Chronicles, there's a story about the nation of Judah being attacked by three different armies. King Jehoshaphat worshipped and claimed justice for his people. After he prayed and he worshipped God, the Bible records that the prophet came to him and gave a word, and the word was this. Station yourselves. You won't need to fight. You won't need to fight this battle. And they did that. And they watched their enemies destroy themselves and destroy each other. Truthful worship's a weapon. Truthful worship means that I don't have to fight battles. Scripture says that we're not fighting a battle or waging a war with flesh and blood. But we are with everything else. Spirits, principalities, we're, we're fighting them. But we don't have to fight because there's a promise that our worship is our weapon. God's already won the battle. He's already won the war. 
There's nothing that we have to do. And, and on that day when we get caught up to heaven and that final battle happens, the Lord's going to take care of it. He's going to send the enemy into a bottomless pit where he cannot tempt no longer. That's a promise in Scripture. But until then, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to worship through, the temptation, through our temptation. If our worship is true worship and is founded in Jesus and in Jesus' name, which is the Word, then the Word of God in our worship will hinder the temptations of the enemy. We see this with Jesus as he went to the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan three times. Now, it's not the only three times he was tempted. We know that he walked, he walked a normal life. He walked life from a human's perspective, and he was tempted by all the same things that we are. But there are three instances where the enemy tempted him with all the things of the world. And when he tempted him, the, our Lord came right back at him with word, with the word, Scripture. He said, it is written. And he, and he quoted Scripture. He quoted himself. He, quit, he quoted the very words that he breathed to Moses and, and, and to, to the prophets. He quoted those words. And that happens out of our worship. Worship isn't just praying a prayer or standing up with arms lifted high. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is reading scripture and making a point to read scripture, not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's because what we've been called to do. Because you have given your life to Christ, because you have given everything to our Lord. It's a way for us, reading scripture is a way for us to continue our worship by diving in into everything that he has for us. And the last thing I'll, I'll say before I close here, I know it was a little shorter than normal, but truthful worship is our connection to heaven. Truthful worship is our connection to heaven. When we worship, we join in on heaven's song. The angels circle the throne saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The, the, if the angels of heaven are seeing that nonstop, worshiping God, waiting for Him to come and get his church, we have, we have been given an opportunity to join in on heaven's songs. Your, your worship reaches the throne of heaven. Your worship reaches the throne of heaven. And we see in Daniel that he had been praying and praying and praying and feeling like there has been nothing coming from heaven. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, I know you feel like it, your, your prayers haven't reached ha heaven, but the reality is, is they have. They have reached heaven, but there was a spiritual attack going on that Daniel couldn't see. And God had sent an angel to deal with that principality and deal with that demonic spirit. And when he did, the prayers that David had prayed and the answers God sent out came to fruition. Our prayers and our worship reaches the throne of heaven. That's a promise in Scripture that when we worship... God receives it. Cain and Abel, that, that the biggest rivalry that we think of in Scripture, both of them brought their worship to God. Abel brought, you know, the, the prettiest lamb, the, the best of the best that he had in his lambs, and he sacrificed and gave it to God. And it says that the aroma of his sacrifice pleased the Lord, but Cain's didn't. 
And Cain became upset about that because he was worshiping for himself. Cain didn't worship because he wanted to worship God. He worshiped because he, he was worshiping for himself. He was worshiping probably because Adam had told him that's what you were supposed to do. So he just went out and collected vegetables and get, presented them to the Lord. But Abel worshipped out of his heart. Abel worshipped and wanting to please God. And because of that, it reached heaven. And the aroma of his praise pleased the heart of God. What if I told you that the aroma of your praise and your worship pleased the heart of God? There's a song that Maverick City Music put out. that says, I just want to move your heart. That's all I want to do, just to stand in all of you. And there's a response to that that someone gave prophetically that said, you do. You do. You're the ones that move me, is what the Spirit was saying to that group of people. And I believe that to be true. We have a unique opportunity to move the heart of God. We have seen that throughout the course of human history. Where the justice and the anger of God has been real. And he has begun to bring judgment. But the heart of people who worship him have changed the, the mind of God. God made a promise to Abraham that if there were just even five righteous people, he would spare God and Gomorrah. God had promised Israel that they would be in captivity for 70 years. But if you look at it, the course of history, they were only there for 68. Why? Because Daniel prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, believing that the Lord was going to release Israel from captivity and allow them to go back and worship at the temple, go back to the promised land. And because of his prayers, Daniel's prayers, God shaved two years off. The prayers and the worship of God's people reaches the throne of heaven and presents a unique opportunity for us to move the heart of God. We, and he allows it to happen because he loves us. That's the entire reason we're here. It's because he loves us. So I'm closing with that. And I would just say this. As we wrap up and we're about to pray and dismiss. Make worship a priority. I already said it that worship's not a moment. But worship's a lifestyle. If we are willing to make worship our livelihood and worshiping and pleasing the heart of God, if we put that at the forefront of our mind, then we will have more moments like that woman with the alabaster box. We will have more moments like David did coming back in to the city with the ark. We'll have more moments to worship God and we'll find that there are more opportunities to worship God than what we may think of now if we make worship a lifestyle and a priority to us. So let's make a commitment to do that now. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, you are holy and mighty and we thank you, God, that you have given us this unique opportunity to enter into your presence and to worship you. God, I pray that you would keep this on the forefront of our minds, God, that you would remind us of your, your goodness and your grace, God, that you would remind us of all the opportunities we have to truly worship you. And God, I pray that you would help remind us in these moments what worship truly is, God, that it's, it's connected to our spirit and we do it out of the truth and revelation of who you are. Lord, protect our people as they leave tonight, God, 
and keep the storms at bay. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.